the sea. I can't recall exactly how it began, but I know I'm indifferent to that part of my life before it began. Thoughts of that other world are never far from my mind, but the recollections are starting to fade. I have to fix them in some sort of remembered reality before they pass beyond memory, beyond meaning. motorway at night. Police said he was drunk, got out of his car, started to walk up the motorway. Pouring rain. Pitch black! The car was less than a year old, covered in a film of dust. I was going to... Her face was blank with loss. What could I say? What was there to say? He died 300 miles from where he should have been. What was he... Why was he... Who? You're not a dealer. John wouldn't have liked a dealer to... I'm not to... a dealer. Spare keys and papers in the... She waved vaguely at the glove box. In the... She seemed incapable of finishing a sentence. His back was broken in five places. His skull... I sat at a table in the kitchen and wrote out a cheque as the woman wove a web of sickening details around her brother's death. It was extraordinary. Most of the blood had drained from his body, but it wasn't on the road. She looked at me, letting the absurdity of this settle. They couldn't find it anywhere. Not a drop. I needed to get away. I tore the cheque out and held it out to her. He was only 46. He was a beautiful man. I'll collect the car when the cheque is cleared. I don't believe he died in such a senseless way. She snatched the keys from the table and threw them at me. Take it. Take the bloody car. I don't often think of death, but that night I'd been so wantonly reminded of it that I couldn't escape morbid thoughts. I hold a simple view about dying. When life ends, it ends. You're here, you're not here. A mist suddenly appeared. The controls of the car became heavy and unresponsive, the road surface treacherous. The needles of the instrument started to swing wildly. But to my astonishment, I thought I could hear the sound of the sea, waves breaking, gulls. Then there was total darkness. I braked hard. The car slewed sideways and hit something. I was flung forward and banged my head. As I slowly regained consciousness, I saw the glass faces of the instruments were cracked and the needle of the temperature dial was stuck on red. The stalled engine wouldn't start. I got out of the car and tested my balance. I saw that I was in an avenue of large detached buildings, screened from the road by trees. 
There were no lights on in any of them. There were no street lights. The only thing to lift the darkness was the moonlight. Then I heard a car traveling at speed towards me. I turned and saw its headlights. As it got closer, I could make out the silhouette of an old American saloon. I slipped into the cover of some trees. It reversed and stopped alongside the stranded car. Framed in the moonlight, I could see that it had mirrored windows, no number plates, a powerful spotlight on the passenger side. Two men got out and walked slowly round my car. Same height, build. Both wore dark suits and heavy-rimmed glasses. One had a gun in one hand, the other a torch. He opened the driver's door and shone the torch beam over the interior. They had a brief conversation, closed the door, and made their way back to their car. I watched from the cover of the trees as it turned into the grounds of an apartment block. I remained hidden until I was sure it was gone, then I made my way to the front entrance. I pressed my forehead against the cooling glass of the door. Inside the entrance hall, Automatically triggered by the pressure on the glass, light switched on, and from nowhere... Three dogs hurled themselves at me. Muscles bunched, teeth white blades, their claws clattering on the glass. I snatched back, leaving a bruise of blood on the door. They won't hurt you. The voice startled me. Not if you're with me. On seeing the woman, the dogs calmed. What happened to you? I need to call a cab. A cab? She pointed to a gash in my scalp. That requires attention. She was oddly remote. I followed her into the block, never taking my eyes from the dogs. I followed her to a lift. What's this address? She looked at me as if I was talking in a language she didn't understand. For the taxi. She smiled a practised smile. You need a drink. In the lift, she stood close to me. Under the expensive perfume, I could smell her flesh like sweet brine. She put her purse on the table, slipped her coat off, dropped it carelessly on a chair and crossed to a drinks trolley. Brandy? I prefer whiskey. But of course. Certainly. Ice? No ice. Water? No water. She handed me the drink, then checked the gash in my scalp. No. What is your blood type? <laughs> that bad. Do you know? No. I'll get something to clean it with. Why? Do you want to know my blood group? Excuse me. When I was sure she had gone, I stood in the centre of the room, feeling it more than seeing it. There was something artificial about it, just as there was about the woman. I crossed to the telephone and lifted the receiver. There was no dialing tone. Then I saw it had no lead. The woman returned with a basin of water and cotton wool. Sit here. She patted the back of a chair. As she started to bathe the wound, the car returned. The woman stiffened with alarm. They'll kill you if they find you here. And me. Who are they? You have to go. I could see she meant what she said. Find Hill. You must find Hill somehow. As I moved quickly from the room, she slipped something into my hand. Give this to Hill. Without looking, I dropped it into a pocket. 
thought I knew the depth of which fear is buried. In desperation, I buried myself in some bushes in the overgrown grounds of a large crumbling house. The car powered past, its spotlight flooding the dead garden. I was just about to move off when I saw a light in a window. I edged to the side and looked in. The room was lit by a slide projector. Dramatic images of the sea were being projected on one of the walls. A young girl sat cross-legged on the floor, her gaze full of wonder. Sensing someone behind, I swiveled round to face a tall, gaunt man dressed in black. He was carrying a glass cane that gave off an ultraviolet glow. My daughter has never seen the sea. Realising that he was blind, I tried to slip past, but found myself pinned to the wall, the buzzing cane across my throat. You have seen the sea? Yes. He eased the cane. I went there many times before this damnable place, when I was a child. But all I know of it, all I can remember, is its smell. Come in and tell my daughter about the sea. Before I could answer, a spotlight splashed over the row of rotting houses. The blind man instantly lowered his cane, switched off his light, and whispered, I can hide you from the eyes. He slipped silently into the shadows. You're from the city. There's no going back. You'll die here in the zone. The car stopped some way off. Another joined it. They moved slowly down the road. When I was certain they were gone, I took my chance and ran. Slipping from shadow to shadow, I saw something in the distance that drew me to it. A fire on waste ground. Lying close to the fire, a naked man. Hands and feet bound, his body coiled round a metal stake. There was movement in a derelict house. A face in the flare of a match as a cigarette was lit. The face of a child, yet not a child. A car appeared. A brood of feral children stepped up into the spaces where windows once were. Although the night was harsh, they were stripped to the waist, their thin bodies crudely tattooed. A man got out of the car with a torch. The brood watched silently as he walked to their prisoner and cut his hands and feet free. A second man stepped from the car, same dead face, eyes hidden behind green lens glasses. They hauled the naked man to his feet, dragged him to the car and flung him into a metal cage in the back. Then they opened the boot, lifted out a large cardboard container and placed it on the ground. The eyes got back in the car, reversed onto the road and were gone. The brood seeped from the building with a pack of wild dogs. Two of the oldest broke the paper seals, opened the container and lifted out a television. One of the girls slashed her palm with a shard of glass and smeared blood all over the screen. Then the television was raised high and carried like some sacred street Madonna into the darkness. The dog brood followed in religious procession. with cold. In the distance, I saw a fire blazing in an oil drum. 
I stopped, took a small flask of whiskey from a pocket. It was close to empty. I took a sip, looked around. The area appeared deserted. I approached cautiously. There was no one about, just a half-starved dog, its skin shuddering as it sucked in the heat. When it saw me, it limped off. I stood as close to the red-hot drum as I could bear. From the darkness came a high-pitched whine. It continued. Staccato. Demented. Then, a toothless face was glaring at me through the flames. An old man with a wind-up gramophone strapped to his back. The madness in his face burned brighter than the fire. He mimed a vicious stabbing. He took a rusting tin box from a bag, opened it, and took out a pair of glasses the eyes wore. One of the lenses was missing, the other was cracked and caked in dried blood. He proudly pointed to the blood. He put the glasses on and, fizzing with madness, he posed for me. Eyes! Knife! Me! Killed you! Then he stepped back from the fire's light and disappeared as completely and mysteriously as he had appeared into his own private underworld. There was a lack of even a casual connection between time as I knew it and time passing in the zone. Nights seemed to last forever. Days were brief and bleak. I found myself in a deserted shopping precinct. The shops were burnt out and boarded up. I had been aware for some time that I was being followed by a young girl. I stopped and turned to her. What do you want? Thin face, head shaved, faded scars like chalk marks on her skull. Would you wish me, sir? Wish you? I'm clean. She dropped her hand between her legs. She never took her eyes from my watch. I raised my hand. This? I unclipped the watch and held it in my hand. You want this? She nodded. I'm not going to hurt you. She inched forward. Her body wound like a spring ready for instant flight. She slowly reached out to take the watch. I drew it back. Answers. That's all I want. She glanced behind, measuring her dash back into the darkness. Where am I? Just tell me where I am. You're from the city. I pushed the watch into her hand. Yes. Have you seen the sea? I've lived by the sea. Tell me about it. Everything, everything. First, you tell me about this place. Where is it? Where is the zone? What is it? With surprising strength and without warning, she dragged me into a doorway. Then I heard the unmistakable engine of a patrolling car. The girl pulled me deeper into shadow. The goat, the eyes, they're after you. I almost laughed. Only in the surreal nightmare of the zone could these sinister cars be called goats. When it was gone, the girl eased away from me. They're after you, aren't they? Yes. Why? I didn't ask them. She smiled. In the smile, I saw a sense of survival imprinted on her thin face. The girl led me quickly from one section of the zone to another. I'd never seen such manifest ruin. For some time, she'd been casting nervous glances back and to both sides. I slowly became aware of the gang of feral children with their dogs darting from one pool of shadow to the next. Keep moving! As we turned the corner, we came face to face with the rest of the brood. 
I looked around the faces. The oldest was no more than 14. They all had the soul-free eyes of the predator. The girl slipped the watch from her arm and held it up. Gold! Gold! One snatched it from her and threw it to the rest who fought for it, yapping like curs. What else have you got? I searched my pockets and took out a lipstick. Then I remembered. The woman at the apartment had given me something but a lipstick. I dropped it back in my pocket. A hail of stones rained down, forcing us to run in different directions. The brood ignored the girl. It was the man from the city they were hunting. They cut me off in every direction, forcing me onto an ugly slab of waste ground. I'd run to a standstill, stood half-bent over, trying to force some oxygen back into my burning lungs. Then, in a last desperate surge of energy, I took a step towards a heavy club of wood lying on the ground. The ground gave way and I plunged into a pit that had been skillfully camouflaged. The pit was ten feet deep, sheer-sided. The brood gathered at the top, looking down at me like a trapped animal. My shoulder brushed the pit wall. The walls of the pit were alive with electricity. Within hours, the brood had delivered me to the eyes. I was locked in a cage in the back of a car being driven through the zone. When I tried to resist, they'd smashed the car door on my hand. I suddenly caught sight of an extraordinary figure. A tall man with tungsten-coloured hair, wearing a scarlet robe of shreds and patches, dragging a heavy wooden cross on his shoulder. He stopped, shifted the cross to his other shoulder and continued on his way. The cell door was slammed shut behind me and locked. Feeling the walls like a blind man, I found a narrow bed and lay on it for some time, allowing my eyes to adjust to the lack of light. <coughs> then somebody coughed. It startled me. I thought I was alone. A match was struck, and I saw another bed on the far side of the cell. Lying on it was a man so emaciated it was hard to believe he was still alive. He lit a stub of candle on a stool and started to cough again, wiping flecks of blood from his mouth with a rag. I took out my flask, unscrewed the cap, and took it across to him. Here. Try this. You can have what's left. Whiskey. The man started to cough again, this time so violently it threatened to snap his stick of a body. I put the flask beside the candle. I'll leave it here. I crossed to my bed and lay down. I saw him pick up the flask and take a drink. Talking to walls, you start to forget who you are. My name is Hayden. Turner. A stab of pain in my hand. I winced. Uh, the eyes. They're like breaking hands. Who are they? The eyes. The lice of the zone. Psychopaths. The violence is their language. They thrive on fear. <coughs> you from the city? Yes. Men like you are not here for long. They usually kill you and use you for spare parts. <clears throat> How did you get through the boundary? Boundary? It protects the zone. Drove through. How does it work? <clears throat> Scientifically? Yes. I don't know. You must know something. 
<laughs> That's city logic. There's a magnetic field. It affected the instruments in the car. There was a brief silence. Then Hayden seemed to make a decision to trust me. The human body is mostly water. When you hit the boundary, temperature increases. It's something to do with the properties of hydrogen in a magnetic field. What happens? Your blood boils. You die. Then how do people pass through it? <clears throat> the boundary is breaking down. People from the city find themselves stranded here. At times, the power is switched off in certain sections to allow important zone people in and out. That's how they come and go. Who are they? Oh, men and women who live by the darker laws of life. They run the zone? They control the eyes. How many people here? Uh, Forty, fifty thousand, who knows? Who cares? There are a dozen factions fighting for power. Fighting for what? It's a living hell. Not all of it. Across the park... He stopped in mid-sentence and quickly blew the candle out. A slit of light appeared in the cell door. It stayed open a few seconds, then closed, and the jailer moved on. I lowered my voice. Who's Hill? Who told you about Hill? Who is he? She. She, then? There are two ways I could leave this cell. In a body bag. Not quite dead. It suits the surgeons. Or through that door, a free man. Hill could open that door. I was taken to a room that was spacious and comfortable. A half-open glass door led onto a balcony. To my amazement, sunlight streamed in, and I could hear the sound of the sea and the cry of gulls. The setting would have been perfect, but for the fact that the room was 50 feet below ground. They handcuffed me to a chair in front of a desk. A woman sat behind the desk, cleaning her glasses, a hardened and already hard face when she put them on. She picked up a roll of negative, where did you get this? I don't know what... This that... roll of negative. Photographic negative. I've never seen it before. They've given me an hour. She indicated a battery of bell pushes on the desk. If I press one of these, you will be collected and disposed of. I just want to get out of this sewer. That can be arranged. How? If we permit it. She got up, came round the desk and stood in front of me. Where did you get these? She held up the roll of negative. I've told you. Then I saw the lipstick lying on the desk. It had been pulled apart. I suddenly realised. The lipstick. Who gave it to you? A woman. Who? I don't know who she was. Describe her. Tall, dark, attractive. Lived in an apartment guarded by dogs. An Eva. There are a dozen Evas. Identical. We send them into the city to seduce. She gave you the lipstick? Yes. Why? The, the eyes came back. Yes. She pushed it into my hand and told me to run. That they'd kill me if they found me there. They'd kill us both. Nothing else? 
I got out. What did she say? As fast as I could. About the lipstick? Nothing. Nothing? Not a thing. You weren't curious. You didn't ask. I didn't even look at it. I, I dropped it into a pocket. I just... I wanted to get as far away from those animals as I could. Outside, a squall of gulls seemed to irritate her. She went back behind the desk and pressed another button. The gulls, the sunlight and the sea disappeared, leaving a muddy light in the room. She switched on a desk lamp and picked up a folder. From it, she took several photographs and started to lay them on the desk. The last, to my astonishment, was a face I knew. She smiled. Tell me about Jack Cage. He's dead. I spoke to him today. He died eight years ago. How do you explain the photograph? I couldn't. It was Jack Cage. He told me you're a thief. A brilliant thief. A thinker. He admires you. I sat next to... Her name was Ms. Eiston in the back of a stretched limo that moved slowly through the zone. In the daylight, I saw that she was older than she first appeared. How did Jack Cage get here? He needed to disappear. There are always people in the city who need to disappear for all sorts of reasons. Criminal, political, financial, even psychological. How do they find you? We find them. How? From contacts in the zone, we make contacts in the city. They come here, they have contacts. That's what they bring to us. She paused and considered for a moment. And, of course, their own particular predisposition. What did Jack bring? He's a man without conscience. The car slowed. We were stopping in a park. The trees were in bloom. The natural beauty of the place was in stark contrast to the terrible darkness I'd so far seen in the zone. My door opened with the faintest click. Ms. Eiston pointed across the park. You'll be met at the gate. I got out. The door closed behind me and the car eased away. As I walked through the deserted park, I realised that the setting was more than idyllic. The sun was full, sky cloudless and brochure blue, grass so verdantly green it looked painted, but there was something missing. Where were the birds? A place like this would surely be full of birds. It was a curiously uncomfortable place, artful and counterfeit. There was nothing natural about it. Even the shadows seemed to be stenciled on the ground. As I walked through a thickly wooded area, I looked up. In the trees were cameras that followed my every movement. There was about the whole place a virulent, menacing deceit. I made my way to the gates on the opposite side of the park. There was a giant of a man standing beside a limousine waiting for me. He was close to seven feet tall must have weighed 400 pounds. As I approached, he opened the passenger door and stood silently beside it. He closed the door behind me, got into the car, adjusted the rearview mirror so that he could see me, then started the car and pulled away.
before the park was out of sight, a car phone buzzed beside me. I lifted the handset but said nothing. I knew who it would be. Turner. Turner. Can you hear me? It's Jack. Can't be. What? Jack's dead. <laughs> Do I sound dead? The limousine passed a high wall that ran alongside the road. On it, in freshly painted six-foot letters, was the name Hill. We're old friends. <sighs> Who's Hill? The phone clicked dead. As we drove on, I remembered what Hayden had said in the cell. There are a dozen factions fighting for power. Fighting for what? It's a living hell. Not all of it. Across the park. Here I was, across the park. Sweeping tree-lined avenues of luxury houses, tennis courts, swimming pools, marble-chipped drives with exotic cars parked on them. A miniature version of the blatant opulence of the gated communities where the seriously rich live in the city of angels. Jack Cage was a small man with a hard-boned, almost pagan face. I stood on his balcony watching him play a round of golf over Pebble Beach. He teed off into a brightly lit screen, showing a fairway of perfect video grass. He checked the length of his drive on a monitor, then rested his club against the wall and peeled off his glove. You don't look too shabby for a dead man. <sighs> Who went to my funeral? Eddie Carl's widow. Oh. Funny. To piss on your ashes. Cage threw his glove across the balcony. <laughs> he wasn't worth a stinking damn. <laughs> so you killed him? <laughs> they couldn't prove it. Didn't get the chance, did they? That's right. Who was in the coffin? I borrowed a body. <laughs> of course you did. Look, I don't want to talk about the past. Here we live in the present, day by day. Did that bitch Iston do a deal with you? What did she offer you? Way out? There's no way out, no going back, not for you, Turner. See this? He pointed to the monitor. Right here, the distance a ball is hit. The yards it goes, left or right, hook, slice. It knows the location of every hazard. That's me in the zone. I know the location of every hazard. If you want to stay alive, stay close to me. Cage was sat in a high-backed chair. Behind the chair stood a young woman massaging the back of his neck. Isn't she beautiful? Her name's Leah. I killed her husband. She looked at me briefly. I could see that she was beyond hurt. Does that disgust you? His property, his woman, everything mine. That's the law here. The law? Mm-hmm. I kill a man, what's his is mine. Call it what you like. OK. He got up, crossed the room to a desk, opened a drawer and took out two sets of keys. Apartment, car, anything you need. He took a photograph from the drawer and passed it to me. Another widow. Have a killer man, Turner. Not yet. You know your trouble? You think too much. When I'm going to kill a man, he's stark-ass naked. There's nowhere he can hide. 
In the city they treat you like slime. Here they respect you. I'm one of three regulators. Executioners. You're right. But then you're a moral man. Here there's no morality. Here, what you want, you take. Dressed in immaculate black tie, we were driven through the most opulent part of the zone. It was as though a net had been thrown over the pest hole of the rest of the zone to keep it out. Where are we going? Jack. Waiters in white gloves move discreetly among the elite of the zone, serving canapes and glasses of vintage champagne. Everything about the occasion was obscenely indulgent. All of the women were dressed in different hues of ocean blue. Cage sidled up to me and whispered, That face over there with the crippled hand and the small army, that's McClelland. He runs the zone. Cross him and your life is worth four-fifths of subtle. Be careful. He cast a glance at a woman moving through the crowd towards us. A.V. Her face was ageless, almost perfect. This is... Uh... Turner, yes. Yes. I've heard about you. You don't use him, Jack. She ran her blood-red nails lightly over my face. He's mine. I caught her wrist and held it tight. She was astonished. So were the people nearer. I leaned forward and studied her perfect porcelain face. How old are you? There was an audible gasp of disbelief. I keep meeting women with young faces, but old eyes. <laughs> she laughed, which started a swell of nervous <laughs> laughter from the rest. Don't forget me, Jack. She pressed something into his hand, then slipped back into the crowd. Cage took me by the arm and hurried me into an empty passageway. You want to get us both blistered? That lady's lethal. She's almost as dangerous as McClelland. What does she give you? He held out a small metal disc with O-R-H-C-D-E engraved on it. What is it? Blood. With the right blood, we never age. It was like the first night at the opera. We were sat in reserved seats in the observation gallery of an operating theatre. The darkness in the gallery was exaggerated by a sudden storm of light in the operating area. An anaesthetised patient was wheeled in, followed by a surgeon and his team dressed in silver laser-reflecting material. Ladies and gentlemen, in Western civilization, mankind's deep veneration for God is only a profane longing for immortality. As transplant techniques are perfected, immortality becomes a rational possibility. He replaced a blind eye with one fully functional in less than an hour. Astonishing. The room was small. Walls from floor to ceiling constructed of stainless steel drawers. It was exceptionally cold. Breath smoked from our mouths as we spoke. There are never enough donors. The transplant I used tonight came from this organ bank. In the drawer were three human eyes contained in cubes that looked at first like ice, but had a harder surface. 
The second drawer held a human brain. I had to look away. A lingering smell of flesh made me nauseous. I specialize in rare tissue matches. I have an arrangement with several surgeons in the city. He took a silver flask from his pocket, unscrewed the cap and passed it to me. I needed a drink. You're a clever man, Turner. Together, there's nothing we couldn't do. I knew that my appearance in the zone excited, but also troubled Cage. Leah had slipped a note in my jacket pocket saying that he was frightened of me and that at some point he would kill me. I knew Jack Cage well enough to know this to be true. As we left the operating theater, he said he wanted to show me something. He wouldn't say what, I didn't press him. The giant chauffeur was called Eels. I have never met such a frightening and silent man. The limousine glided along brightly lit streets that were clear of the scurf of filth that seemed to cover most of the zone. People were out shopping, going to restaurants, drinking at tables outside chic bars. <laughs> Suddenly, eels braked hard. Cage had a gun in his hand in a second. Caught in the headlights like a giant ragged moth was the Christ-like man I'd seen before. Cage put the gun away. Pathetic bastard. Go round him. Who is he? Ah, they call him the Zone Christ. Been ever ever. As we passed, the Zone Christ looked in at me as if somehow he knew me. His eyes blazed. The limousine accelerated and he was soon left far behind. We drove through the park and into the creeping desolation beyond. Eels stopped the car at an intersection of roads, got out and stood in the beam of the headlights. Then he started to walk up and down in a precise six-pace line. What's he doing? Waiting. For what? It won't be long. Is he a mute? Well, I've never heard him speak a word. Never. Frightening, isn't he? Why are we here? You still think there's a way back? Eels turned back to the car and gestured to Cage. In the distance, a man emerged from the darkness running for his life, pursued by armed men who seemed less intent on catching him than driving him in a certain direction. There's no going back. <sighs> the running man hit the invisible zone boundary. His back arched, his body shuddered, then stiffened. He toppled backwards and lay still. <sighs> Eels got back in the car. As we drove slowly past, I could see steam coming from the dead man's open mouth. You ice-hearted bastard. Who cares? I care. Don't you understand? With me, you can make it here. With me, you got a chance. Alone, you'll end up like that. We drove on in a heavy silence. I had to make you understand. Who do you answer to, Jack? No one. <laughs> you don't have the imagination. 
You never did. You need to be told what to do. Let it rest. Who suggested that grotesque demonstration? Don't you understand? There's a life here you could never dream of in the city. The man with the crippled hand at the reception, McClellan. I said let it rest. He looks like a man who gives orders. Shut your mouth. Even the lady with the porcelain face stayed well clear. He's a madman. And you're not. Not like him. Christ. Not like him. You hate his guts. Your mouth will get you killed. As the car gathered speed and powered towards the park, a blazing van blocked the road. Eels put the heavy vehicle into a controlled sideways skid. Hit the back of the blazing wreck and spun it round. Once the limousine was passed, he got it back online and accelerated away. Two black saloons shot from a side road and locked onto the limousine like barracudas after a shark. Shots ricocheted off the armored body and glass. As the limousine screamed round a corner, the back door flew open and I was sucked out. When I looked up, the two cars had turned the corner. Then I heard one skid to a halt and reverse at speed. I struggled to my feet and ran for the cover of a shop doorway. I tucked myself as tightly as I could into the darkness. Then, to my relief, I heard the car accelerate back the way it had come. I knew that I had to escape this half-known hell or die trying. The darkness lifted into a zone dawn as I made my way back to where the running man died. There was a clear, pure silence. I moved slowly, deliberately towards the lethal zone boundary. I knew that if I hesitated, I might not do what I had to. I walked straight ahead, past the point where I saw the running man fall and continued on. I was dazzled by a pink-silver glare, like blood seen through closed eyes on a scorching summer day. My breath came in short, sharp gulps. I raised a hand in front of my face. I could see bones through flesh like a coloured x-ray. I was amazed I felt so alive, but it made sense. Surely you feel most alive on the edge of death. Lost in this uncertain reality, I saw phantom shapes that slowly focused into houses, shops, a street. A bus rattled past, flashing red. Early morning people went about their business. This isn't the zone, I thought. This is not the zone. <laughs> 